God is good to give us his good word in our language that we can study it and grow and know him. Seven pages. The letter of Ephesians. I don't know about yours, but mine are pretty wore out. Look, I got, I got chunks missing. God's good. Sermon 75. Prayer, love, and encouragement for one another. Conclude our series in this great letter next week at our all-church gathering. But today, verse 18 through 22 of chapter 6 in Ephesians. encourage you to bring your Bibles with you to church. Follow along with us, growing in God's good word. Last week we spent our time focusing on verse 18. Paul's call for believers to be persistent in prayer. Look with me at that verse again. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Making supplication for all the saints. The end of the verse, Paul says we are to keep alert in all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Word supplication means to, to ask in prayer, bring our request to him on behalf of our brothers and sisters in Christ. This practice of praying for one another is a wartime practice. Paul spent much of his emphasis in this last portion this final exhortation of the letter to talk about spiritual warfare, the reality of that as believers, all that's coming at us beyond what we can see, beyond what we can, can touch and feel, and it's real. So we must put on the armor of God daily. We must be regular in prayer and praying for one another. This is how we hold each other up before the throne of God taking our beloved blood-bought family, both here at Disciples and worldwide, before the throne of God, is how we fight for each other in this spiritual battle we find ourselves in. For our adopted brothers and sisters in the Lord are in no better place than lifted before the all-powerful God in prayer. Let me ask you, are you praying regularly for your blood-bought family, both near and far? Is this a a part of how you labor in your days? you, You have access to the living God. Are you utilizing that access to go to prayer? You've been maybe praying for ways that the Lord might use you in the kingdom, this is one. Christian, young or old, weak or strong, you can and should be praying for each other. Are you praying for the members of Disciples Church? Praying for the members of our sister churches here in Bakersfield. Christians who are in the trenches across the country throughout America, and the missionaries who are giving up their livelihood, their modern conveniences and American lifestyle to be a witness of the gospel and to be disciple makers in parts of the world where the gospel has not yet been 
groups, and languages. I deeply desire for Disciples Church to be a people who pray. I want one of our high reputations to be when people in this community run into the members of Disciples Church, they get prayed for. That, that, that we're like salesmen who you can't get away from. But we ain't selling. We just want to pray for you. I want us to get over whatever awkwardness we're worried about. From experience, I can tell you, I can tell you from other pastors, pastors who will comment, thank you for being so diligent to reach out, to encourage, to pray. This is among other seasoned veterans in the Word, shepherds. How much more are the sheep, the, the brothers and sisters in the flocks of God, blessed by our encouragement and prayer for them? Let's do that. Even strangers, even people who are an enemy of God, often will allow you to pray for them. Let's be people who pray. But specifically, people who are praying for one another. Are you doing this with each other? I just talked about doing it with others, but we surely must be doing it more together. I don't want you to leave. Let's not hang up. Let me, let me pray for you real quick. This can't just be my practice. I'm asking that you make it yours. Youth, I want you to get involved in this more than you do. Sometimes you feel like, what do I have to contribute? You can contribute this. Pray for each other. Pray, pray for the members of your family, your siblings, your parents. You see your, your dad or your mom is struggling lately. One of the best ways you can do is say, can I just pray for you real quick? And you don't got to have a bunch of fancy words. Just bringing them before the throne of God. If this is not your practice, then let's commit today to growing in our praying for others. As God puts them in our mind and on our path. We also need to be praying for our leaders. Those that God has assigned to lead the flock. Those that God has called to the front lines of teaching, witnessing, disciple making, fighting for the church. This is where Paul goes next here in Ephesians. As he says, pray for the saints. And then he says, in verse 19 and 20, And also pray for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Paul brings his counsel regarding spiritual warfare to conclusion by bringing a conclusion to the practical instruction that he really began in chapter 4 of the letter. It was there that Paul opened with an appeal based on the fact that he was not only an apostle, but he had proven his commitment to the gospel even in means of being imprisoned, falsely, put in jail. 
And now he highlights this again, as he says in the close, that he is an ambassador of Christ in chains. And he reminds them of the need to keep him in prayer. Why is praying for our leader so important? Because the way our leaders go often is the way we go. The pressure on our church leaders is real. The weight of the call on them to lead Christ church, Christ way is real. It's big. If you remember, James goes so far in his letter to say that teachers, leaders should be few because of the weight of the task. James 3.1, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. James highlights that those who teach carry a high responsibility due to the influence that they exercise in teaching others. Therefore, those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. If a person takes on the responsibility of teaching, they're taking on themselves a scrutiny that comes with wielding influence over others with their words, and specifically in the church with God's words. This is similar to the warning Jesus gives in Luke twelve forty eight. Everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Many often perceive those who teach as having a cool or prestigious role. It is seen as a lofty calling in practice. But what this does is cause many to long to take on this role who shouldn't. There should be a right fear, a trembling which comes with teaching, influencing God's people. The responsibility to wield correct God-honoring influence on others is not a light one. It's not a company that we founded and therefore we get to run it our way. No, it's, it, it, it's a company that belongs to God. He's asked us to carry the torch according to His Word, shepherd the flock for His glory. There's a discipline of life and study and humility that must come with those who teach. If there's not, then an arrogance, an ego, a pride builds up to lead to demise, not just of the teacher, but many times of the hearers that follow. Are you praying for your leaders? There's a need for boldness in our leadership. To say hard things that need to be said. To make tough decisions that won't be popular. To stand fast on God's truths and to teach the people of God the ways of God. This boldness is real. I have heard all too many shepherds in my tenure have comments like, I can't, I can't do that, it won't go well can't say that. We can't go there. It won't. Out of a fear of what the hearers would do or say. But your leaders can't walk by that kind of fear. Our fear needs to be of the Lord. To honor Him. To say what needs to be said. To go where He has called us to go. 
to stand fast on God's truths and to teach the people of God in the ways of God. Now our flesh is always prone to wander, to weaken, to slip, and to people-pleasing. And notice that Paul asked that the Ephesian believers pray for his boldness. It, think about that with me for a moment. Mind down into that. Boldness is the opposite of, of cowardness, of shrinking back, of not saying or doing what God's made clear, giving in to what the flesh wants, what would be easier, what would be more popular. We're all susceptible to the flesh. None of us are immune to that. Even our best leaders. I mean, think about it. Paul's experiencing hardship and struggle, which is why he's leaning on his brothers and sisters in Christ for prayer. He needs prayer. needs their holding him up in prayer. Listen to his words. Church in Philippi, Philippians 1.19. For I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Because the flesh is prone to go its own way. We want our shepherds and Bible teachers to lead from God's truth. So Paul emphasizes, also for me, pray also for me, that, my, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. He's saying that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. God wants His sheep equipped. This is why He commissioned Peter and all future shepherds to feed my sheep. We need shepherds to do this diligently and faithfully for the sake and the health of the church. Protection of the church for the work of the church unto the glory of God. Paul asked his brothers and sisters in Christ, pray for him, that he would be bold to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. When we link this up with the faithful giants of the faith, and we think of all the people that God's used over time to be bold in God's ways despite what they faced, Paul surely is high, if not top of that list, right? I mean, Paul was before rioting mobs in Ephesus. Kings like Agrippa and Felix and Nero and natural disasters, the storm that overtook his ship. And, and he's bold in the very chains he's riding from. His letter from Rome. But still, he's, so he shows great boldness. Great faith, great endurance, but he's still calling out. See with me, he's still saying, pray for me. Pray that I'd be bold. Why? Because he's in tune with the flesh's propensity to slip. Serve itself. Just because someone seems fearless on the outside doesn't mean they still don't fight their sinful flesh. Their need to be upheld in the power and might of God through the prayers of the redeemed. In addition, those who are on the front lines, those whom God has commissioned to be entrusted with the preaching of His Word, 
are surely in need of regular prayer to remain bold and fearless in this most important endeavor so that we would not slack and waver and give in to the fear of man in any way. The late great pastor, Baptist pastor Charles Spurgeon once said, when asked, what is the secret of your ministry? He said, my people pray for me. Can I ask you to pray for your shepherds and your leaders? I know many of you do, but it's critical that you hold us up in prayer. Pray that your leaders would abide in Christ in all things. Never getting off onto our own path. Never answering the call of the temptress, of the temptations to serve oneself, to make it easy. But speaking God's truth boldly, remaining qualified, staying the course, as Paul says, as we ought to speak. With that, Paul puts his pastor hat on, and then he turns to share love and encouragement for his sisters and brothers in Christ. Look with me at verse 21 through 22. So that you may... So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. And I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are. And that he may encourage your hearts. Paul turns to specify his desire to communicate well with the brethren so that they can pray well for him and the efforts that he's in the forefront of to expand the gospel in the region and the world. He wants them to be informed. So he sends his brother, his partner, gospel partner, Tychus, Beloved brother in Christ, a proven minister of the gospel of the Lord. He's from Asia. He's accompanied Paul in many of his travels. He joins Paul in his travels to Rome. And from there, Paul sends him to several places with updates. And then, so he could hear back the status of those churches. We see this in Colossians 4, 2 Timothy 4, Titus 3 ministry of this beloved brother he was beloved he he says he's a beloved brother beloved of God he's within the brotherhood disciples church family do you share Paul's affections for the beloved the family of God I really want us to see the depth of this description. A beloved is one who is loved deeply. This is a term of great affection and love he has for his brother in Christ. This is a term Paul uses to describe God the Son who is beloved of God the Father. 
We saw this in chapter 1 of Ephesians, verse 4 through 6, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. This is basically highlighting the great news that we who, we who are beloved, those whom God has loved from before time, those whom are saved and adopted in Christ, we are the recipients of the grace that blesses us beyond measure. This is done in the capital B, Beloved. Who's that in reference to? Jesus. The one whom God the Father has loved from eternity past, His beloved Son, is the one He gives up so that we who are His elect, whom He has loved from eternity past, can be saved and adopted into His eternal blessings and holy presence. At Jesus' baptism, God the Father says this of Jesus, Matthew 3.17, Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Do you hear the, the love of the Father for His Son? God the Son, Jesus, capital B, Beloved, in which we, the eternally Beloved, who are the elect of God, are saved by God's grace and are blessed with every spiritual blessing. This term beloved is one that Paul uses to describe the redeemed children of God throughout the scriptures. We saw it in Ephesians 5, 1 through 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved. And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Church, beloved brother and sister, oh, I want you to see God's love for you. I want you to know His love for you more than you do. See how utterly amazing His saving grace is. See how it is, it is due a lifetime and an eternity of praise. See the extent to which God chose to save us and make us His. If you are ever tempted to feel like God's love for you is lacking because your circumstances are struggling, you're looking to the wrong things. <laughs> See His eternal work, His eternal purpose in Christ Jesus for your salvation and security in Him. And know that you are loved. Chapter 2, Paul's emphasis, verse 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. This is also a term that Paul uses to describe his love for blood-bought brothers and sisters in Christ. As we see here, in chapter 6, verse 21. 
And he doesn't just speak this about his brother Tychus. He, he speaks it about the church in general. He says it often. He loves his brothers and sisters in Christ deeply. Consider his words in Romans 12.10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is not just a love with deeds. It, it, it is to truly have feelings for each other. To really love each other. Christian, are, are you allowing yourself to get caught up in a place where there's just a grind happening? Just, just a bitterness? A, a resentment between you and another brother or sister? Something that you've allowed to fester so that that true and deep brotherly affection is not happening. Go to war with that. That is one of the great victories of the enemy in the church is to create that kind of divide, that, that kind of, of thing between us. Where do you sense that's happening? And run to it. To deal with it. To seek the Lord together. If someone pursues you with that kind of concern, don't brush them off. Lean in. Let them in. That you might deal with whatever is causing concern. And pursue that unity that Christ has died for us to have. That unity is not something ethereal. It's not something we just declare. It's something we actually have. God's so passionate about that. He says, leave your worship for me at the altar and go get right with your brother or sister. That's how important that true love for each other is at work. That our heart would leap a little bit when we get to be around each other. Because we're family. Where love refers here refers to a special kind of love. It's, it's only used here in the New Testament. It's, it's a rare word outside the New Testament. It refers to a tender affection, a, a family affection. A tender affection towards each other in family love. Before we think about the implications of this, Consider a couple other texts that point us in the same direction of what, how we embrace what it is to really be the beloved in the body of Christ. Have that affection for each other. First Peter 1.22 Since you have, in obedience to the truth, purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart. Not casually, Or have you allowed yourself just to get content in second gear for each other? This is more than just treating each other well. Hey, I'm nice to you. That's good enough. No, there's something from the heart. There's something earnest. There, there's, there's a fervor, a family affection that we're, we're cultivating. 
Philippians 1.8, Paul says to the church, For God is my witness, how I long for you with all the affection of Christ Jesus. The word for affection is, is intestines, inner organs. The ideal of, of, our, of our love for each other in Christ is deep, tender affections. I, there's that, that gut thing, that homesick thing for each other that's happening. Church, do you see the depth of God's love for you and who you are in Christ first and foremost? And then does that, does that love of Christ move through you to your brothers and sisters in Christ? Does it fuel your love for your blood-bought family? It should. It should propel us to truly and deeply love each other in all the ways God calls us and equips us to. But still, let me return there again. If in this moment as you contemplate that, you see that you're stuck, it's probably because you're allowing something to fester. A a sin, a resentment, a grudge to fester. Do business with that. The power to forgive the offense you have in Christ. And the call to make it a priority to sit with that brother or sister and to work it out is, is a command on your life. Or you lie about who you are in Christ. You lie to a watching world about what the unity we have in Christ really is. Look at verse 22. He says, I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Paul wants them to know how he's doing and he wants to encourage their hearts. He's sending Tychus to, to, to do that work. He's, Paul's locked up. So he sends his brother in Christ. He wants his brothers and sisters in Christ to be encouraged. Let's, let's talk about how we encourage one another. First, what is encouragement? And what we must understand is that biblical encouragement is more than secular encouragement. Secular encouragement just looks to to grab something simple. Hey, I really like your shirt. Hey, you're a good cook. That kind of encouragement's good. But the encouragement of Scripture, explicitly Christian encouragement, is encouragement that is shared with the hopes that it lifts someone's heart towards the Lord. Encouragement that points out evidences of grace in another's life to help them see that God is at work in and through them. Encouragement points a person to God's promises to assure them that all that they're facing is under His control. Christian encouragement, in other words, reorients each other to Christ. 
not to oneself, while giving compliments of a shirt or some good cooking is good, see with me that it's a reorientation and encouragement of oneself. And there's great limits with that, what someone does with that. But when you encourage a brother or sister unto Christ, the limits of that are beyond. And that's what makes Christian encouragement bigger, better. Secular encouragement is incomplete because any word of encouragement that only draws the hearer to oneself is pointing them to someone who's ultimately in the end going to let them down, themselves. We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. The rock we stand on, Christian, is Jesus. This is true encouragement. The New Testament reveals that this kind of encouragement was a regular part of the early church's life together. Acts 13, Acts 16, Acts 18, Acts 20, Acts 27. They shared Scripture-saturated words with each other to spur one another on in faith. Acts 14, they shared hope. Acts 15, unity, joy, strength, fruitfulness, faithfulness, perseverance, and certainty of Christ's return. Encouragement was and is an essential way of extending grace to each other. It's, it's the work of Christ in us. The, the Greek word for encouraging is parakaleo. Para meaning to come alongside. And kaleo meaning to call out loud. To call aloud. It is to sympathetically come alongside someone and speak out words that build up. Before we go further, let's do business with what's the opposite of this because we've got to put away the thing that takes us the other direction. The opposite of encouragement is discouragement. It's to discredit or to tear down. problem is, this is the natural tendency of our self-serving flesh. It's to speak about others in a, in a discrediting way. The sin that we're at war with wants to discourage. Our flesh like feeds on it. It feels good in a twisted way. This is why when, you, when you're in a tussle with someone, you're in an argument, you, you, you turn to discouraging words. You say stuff that you would never say to that person in a right mind. It's toxic. It's vile. And Christ in us should motivate us to move away from these kinds of things. Where we would highlight someone's weaknesses, mistakes, flaws. See that that's done out of arrogance and pride or envy. You're, you've been offended, and so now you're going to rip down something else. The problem is in our deep-seated desire to make ourselves feel good by pointing out the flaws, missteps, and degrading others. We, we, we don't honor the Lord. 
We don't, we don't love each other. Proverbs 26, 22, The words of a whisper are like delicious morsels. They go down to the inner parts of the body. Scripture warns us time and time again of any kind of gossip. Romans 1, 2 Corinthians 12, 1 Timothy 5, and on and on. In this we gain insight that gossip is not a part of God. His word, His image, His plan, His salvation, or His people. To refrain from gossip is a practice, a, a working fruit of the people of God. To share in gossip is to practice a distinctly non-Christian theology. I like to define gossip as anything that I might share about another that makes the listener have a tainted or lesser view of them. Christian, are you guilty of practicing gossip or slander instead of encouragement? Let me show you how this doesn't fit into our vocabulary as a Christian. Gossip and slander look to separate, not unite. Gossip and slander are built on the attitude that we are different and separate. Therefore, I'm going to tear you down. Christianity is built on the understanding that in Christ, we are different, but now we are intimately and eternally united before the cross. I am the same as you before the cross. The Son makes this possible by, by taking on human flesh. He dwells in the mud. He, he gives himself to servanthood. He dies. He sympathizes. Christ is not sinful. Not once, not ever. But that's what makes his substitution, his incarnation so glorious. God created a commonality between us and him that, that yet while we were his enemies... He takes on the humiliation and mockery of us. The wrath due us. But when we let our flesh go to work, we don't, we don't operate that way. We serve ourselves. We're slow to die for each other. We're slow to put away what the flesh wants to spit out to, to make itself feel better. We'll tell lies instead of truths to save our own tale. A great example of this is one of Jesus' closest disciples, best friends, Peter, given the first opportunity to stand in faithfulness to Jesus. He's like, I don't even know the guy. No, we are to be encouragers, not discouragers. We are to build up, not tear down. I love what Paul says in Romans 15.5. May the God of endurance 
and encouragement. Grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. Hear this today. If we're going to truly know and practice encouragement, you must first know the God of encouragement. Or it's just a weight. It's just a religious duty. It's just a burden. No, it must come out of the overflow of who Christ is in you, who you are in Him. God cares for you, His blood-bought people, with a holy perfection. He loves us with a minute-by-minute omnipotent care. Only in Christ do you have the care and the loving encouragement of the God of encouragement. Apart from Christ, you rightly sit under the perfect and just wrath of God. To make being a part of the family of God even better, He gave His his children shepherds to lead and care for the flock under the rule of Christ, the chief shepherd. God puts pastoral elders in place to encourage the church We see this in the commands for an elder that we must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that we can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Titus 1.9 So not only do we serve and know Christ, the God of encouragement, but we're given pastors and elders to encourage us as they lead us. I want you to feel encouraged by your shepherds. It says the main way we encourage you, again, is not with compliments about your shirt or your cooking, but is with sound doctrine. You would be encouraged to what is holy and righteous and good. The constant reorientation of God's truths in your life. We truly want to do this well for our disciples' family. This is Paul's hope in writing this letter. Think about all the blessing and help and insight and encouragement. Our study of this letter over the last 75 sermons has meant for us as a church. Hear Paul's heart as he wraps it up and and sends his beloved friend to his Christian family. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Hear how we we the church are supposed to practice encouragement. Hebrews 10, 24-25 Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Consider how to stir up one another in love and good works. Consider there means ponder, meditate, think about, pray about, put together a plan. What's your plan, Christian? What's your preparation? 
For a long time, I struggled to be devoted to quality time with my children in areas of discipleship and in the Word. I was so committed to doing this for the church and the different circles I would run in. I was lacking in this area. I still have growing to do. One of the things that helped me get over the hump in these last years was to stop and actually make a plan. It, it always was just something I needed to do. I wanted to do it better. I wanted to encourage and disciple and counsel my children in the truth of the Lord better. But I just let it always just kind of hover there, and I never in my busyness found a way to kick it over until I slowed to actually make a plan to pray, to seek the Lord. What should this look like? How, how will this commitment play out? And then I'll tell you the next key was actually to schedule it. So it wasn't just something I hoped to do. No, it was a protected part of my schedule. No, I can't meet with you on that day at that time. Why? Because I have a discipleship meeting of the utmost importance. Encouragement is not just something we do on the fly. It's something we prepare for. We make time for it. We plan. We steward it well. It's a part of the economy of being a Christian. We need to wake up every day, put on the armor of God, as we've talked about, and we need to go to Him in prayer, and we need to put to work encouragement of the brethren. To stir up one another, to encourage each other. To not give up meeting together. The word meeting here in the Greek is where we get our word synagogue. It's, it, it means the congregation. It means to congregate. Please understand that this is more than just a meeting you attend. If church for you is, is getting here on time, sitting down, listening, getting up, and getting home, you are missing the point of church. Because that's just attending. No, you need to congregate. I reached out to guys I'm discipling this morning. I said, don't you dare just come to receive this morning. Find others to pray for, to encourage them. That's the work of the body. You have all the rest of the week to get to whatever else you need to get to. This is an important time to be the church. You see a brother or sister across the way, I don't really know what to talk to them about. Right? I won't ask you for a raise of hands. You all relate to this. But here's what you do know. You know you can ask them how they're doing. You know you can ask them how, how you can be praying for them. And then you could do it. And then this person that you didn't know what to talk to them about, you end up being one of the greatest blessings to them in their whole day. Congregation is a community in which all aspects of the members live united in Christ. Congregation just doesn't just come together to hear a speaker and have an experience. No, you long to be in each other's lives. It spills out of the time of preaching and worship. You eat together, you pray together, you learn together, you lean on each other, you confess your sins to each other, you build up each other. 
Church is not just a place you go. It's a lifestyle. It's mutual. You will not thrive in your Christian life without a faithful and united congregation that you are a part of. Some of, some of you haven't been attending well and you're struggling. This is why. Some of you maybe are attending, but that's all you do. And, and you're embittered or you're, or you're struggling. You're on an island. This is why. Encourage one another daily, the author of Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. God commanded that His people encourage each other because He knows we need it. The Gospel of John, Jesus warned that in this world you will have tribulation, which then He followed with a much-needed encouragement. He says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. John 16.33 This harsh, broken world that we're in, temptations of the flesh, if we let it have its way, it steals our joy, our plans falter, our dreams die, our resolves weaken, our perspectives dim. When encouragement is absent from the life of the church people, we feel unloved, unimportant, useless, forgotten. God knows that you need these grace-filled reminders, so He calls us to encourage each other every day until He comes again. Now, if you're thinking, I would sure like to be encouraged more. Pastor, where's the line at the end of this sermon? I'd like to be in the front of it. Can I say lovingly to you, if this is your thinking, and it's a sign that you're not pursuing life together enough with others. You're guilty of not doing what God calls you to do, and so in that way you're kind of just a bystander. If anything, people are loving you by kind of giving you the room you need to get over the hump to, to, to do what the Lord calls you to do. Or it's just sin at work, and by which you're just making it all about you. Beloved, the command is that you practice encouragement. Your takeaway today needs to be less about what you're receiving, and more about what you are giving to others. And if we all do this, then everyone will be encouraged as the Lord intends. Everyone who is a part of the congregation. If you found your way out to the edges, then come back in where the body's living. Be encouraged. To press on you who are just a little too distant, you rarely, if ever, seek out others when at church. You rarely, if ever, pick up the phone or send an email of encouragement to a brother or sister. You're not looking to schedule time with your church family. You're busy with your own life. Yeah, you're committed to coming to church, but you're not engaged. Christian, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. 
This is happening today. Today is happening, right? Then we are to encourage one another. He's saying, don't be the body of Christ that tries to endure the war that rages all around you without doing this. The body of Christ. For the body of Christ, encouragement, Christian encouragement is like breathing. It's a, it's a beautiful gift of our redemption. Don't try to live without it. Recognize Paul's placement of this in our passage. It's a part of what follows his teaching on the reality of spiritual warfare. Just as prayer is a vital tool given to us by God to endure spiritual warfare, encouragement is a vital tool of spiritual warfare. The reality is if you're going to encourage anyone, then you're, then you're setting yourself up for a fight against Satan and against your own flesh. Why? Because the devil is constantly trying to discourage us. Are you one who has just been caught up in just a season of being discouraged? One of the best ways you can help that is to, is to abide in Christ and just live in a place of encouragement. Don't keep feeding the thing that has got you turned upside down. Abide in Christ. Be present in the body. We need to encourage one another. So I ask you, are you doing this? What do you need to make to do to make time, to set aside time? Maybe, maybe for you a start is just to set a time of day, an alarm on your phone that goes off. And you pick that time because it's very good and likely that what you're in the middle of, you can stop for a moment. And your objective in that moment is to send forth an encouragement to a brother or sister in Christ. As simple as that is, just think about the love, the the connections that would come forth from you to the body in just seven days. Think about what that reputation then looks like at a month or a year. Christian encouragement, let me say it again, is shared with each other with the hopes that it lifts someone's heart towards the Lord. That's what I'm aiming for. It points out evidences of grace in another's life to help them see that God is at work in and through them. It points a person to God's promises that no matter what they're facing, God's on the throne. It reorients them to Christ, not themselves. May we be better committed to writing a note, sending an email, shooting a text, making a call, traveling to get an arm around a brother or sister so you can encourage them. Please understand that doing this will cost you something. Cost you time, cost you money, energy. Many days you will feel like you don't have it. This is why we're desperate for Jesus to shape us mold us and grow us to be better stewards of our days for these things. If our Lord is the God of encouragement, then we are to be His encouragers. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, may it be so. 
may be so by your grace and for your glory, that we would pray for one another, that we would love one another, that we would encourage one another, as Paul has modeled the end of this letter in a very tactile, very practical way. He has shown us what this looks like in this communication. He didn't just do his business and sign, love Paul. He, he, he gave this exhortation. He gave this counsel. And, he, and, and, and really in this passage, he's just modeling for us what it looks like. And so, Lord, we take it to heart. We, we, we are thankful. Um, we are so blessed to be yours. We, we are so loved, cared for, lifted up. Hear us as we respond in song. Move through us as we go about our day to honor you in these ways. Pray these things because of Christ.